Hello. I told you I had some wonderful interviews to share with you this week, and this one will not disappoint. I was so fortunate this past weekend to hop over to Titanic Pigeon Forge and meet the author Jay Kent Layton, who was there doing a book signing for On a Sea of Glass, The Life and Loss of the RMS Titanic, which he co-authored with Tad Fitch and Bill Wormstead. And as many of you know, that book is just the gold standard on Titanic history now. It is meticulously researched. It is such a gorgeous book. If you don't have a copy, please remedy that immediately. But I know many of you have read it. I've heard from many of you on Instagram, email over the last couple of years about your love of this book. So I'm thrilled to bring you this interview. It's short. We didn't have a ton of time prior to the signing, but it packs a punch. It's wonderful. And uh, as you'll hear in the interview, we discuss uh, in the future bringing Kent back on with Tad and Bill to talk about this book some more. Hopefully that will happen. It was such a delight to chat about Titanic research and and unpacking the mythology, which is exactly what their book does. It's obviously what I aim to do on this podcast. And it was just a wonderful time spent at Pigeon Forge. So thank you, Kent, for taking the time for Unsinkable while you were there. I will make sure to link Kent's bio in the show notes. He has written on not only Titanic, but many Atlantic liners. He's also co-authored Recreating Titanic and Her Sisters, which is a visual history. That's also with Fitch and Wormstead, and that one has a foreword by none other than Ken Marshall. So just lots to check out. Check out all of his books, and I will link uh, On a Sea of Glass uh, in the show notes specifically as well. So for now, just midweek, enjoy this kind of mini book club episode with Kent. There's so much more to come. I've got another new episode dropping in your feed in a few days. It is a wild week here on Unsinkable. But uh, anyway, no more rambling. Let's get you to Kent. Here are Kent and I at the Titanic Museum in Pigeon Forge just a few days ago. And to thank you, as always, to everybody at Titanic Pigeon Forge for such a warm, amazing welcome. All right. So I think we've got some decent sound going. I am here with Jay Kent Layton, and we are at the Titanic Museum attraction in Pigeon Forge. Uh, the sound quality hopefully will be pretty good, but we are on site, and he is about to do a book signing for Sea of Glass. So we're very honored to be sitting with him. And I wanted to just throw a few questions his way. The book has been really popular with all of you, obviously, and it's a big deal to get to speak with him. Uh, so I wanted to start, Just we're going to jump in fast, we're on limited time. So the what I do with the podcast is a lot of sort of mythology busting. And what I found when I research is that when I go back to the original sources, survivor testimony, uh, newspaper articles, there's a lot of human fallibility evident in even those. So you and your co-authors, how did you navigate using those sources when you were writing this book? Do you have any sort of insight to that end? 
Well, first of all, one of the things that we did is we worked with individuals who had researched these accounts for many years. So they were able to very quickly identify the good accounts from the false accounts. That helped us out a lot right off the mark. So then you have a pile of good accounts. And what we found when you compare many different accounts is you find that individual survivors could be mistaken about certain things and mm -hmm. were, whether it was shock, trauma, whether it was not knowing uh, technical, you know, how things worked on a ship and what they were actually referring to. And just misspeaking to, about something. Mis yeah, yeah, or being misquoted by the reporter. Uh, we found that individuals could be mistaken. But the more accounts you put together, what we found is that it becomes almost like what we call a, um, a, a target, a, a center mass target, where you start to see there's certain events that are referred to they all kind of correlate, and then you have kind of outliers, but you have this kind of um, this kind of bullet point right here, this target that you can see where all the accounts start to line up, mm -hmm. and you can see where individual mistakes were made on the edges. Just recently, someone referred to it as um, a holistic approach for oh, okay. studying history. Let people speak for themselves, compare what they said, and go with what the majority said. And when mm -hmm. When you don't try to push it this way or that way too much with preconceived ideas, or you only go to the point where you find what you think supports your initial mm -hmm. argument, and then you stop looking, mm -hmm. we find the survivors are actually very reliable eyewitnesses for many of the events that happened that night. Uh, so, for example, we have over 100 of the 712 survivors now that we've identified who specifically said the ship broke. Mm -hmm. So that's a that's a relatively large percentage mm -hmm. of the overall. Yeah, mass. but if you you know prior to especially the 80s or 90s, if you'd looked at the narrative of Titanic history, you wouldn't exactly. read that exactly. See, that's so interesting. And then now you guys go back and it's there. And it's it was completely all there. there. It so, was there, but yeah. there were there were very few uh, survivors who were like Second Officer Lightoller and Colonel Gracie or Lawrence Beasley. A very few people specifically said the ship didn't break, and their story was just kind of accepted mm -hmm. for seventy odd years and, prior until they found and prioritized. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that sort of leads perfectly into my next question, which is, and and read, uh, I say readers, listeners are probably chuckling when they hear this from me because I sort of make it my main goal to trace some of those mythological moments like the Ismay and Peary dinner or, you know, where Thomas Andrews was at the end. And I think some of that is is me as a female historian often busting open the sort of heroic, you know, male narrative as well. And so my question to you is that what do you think the value it because your book does a lot of kind of myth busting. What do you think the value is in busting open some of those common, you know, stories like Thomas Andrews being in front of the painting in the smoking room at the end and or or you know Titanic being you know designed in this one dinner, you know, between Ismay and Perry. What is the value and how can sort of the the new versions of those sort of inform the narrative? Because I get the question a lot, okay, you you try to bust open myths, but why? Yeah. You know. I think it's important because it gives us a clearer picture mm -hmm. of history, a more accurate picture. And that allows us to really connect with the individuals 
even better because we kind of come to know them in a different light. The, the events kind of shape our understanding of the people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're, if you're going to talk about history, it's important to get it right. Otherwise, it just becomes mythology mm -hmm. over time. Or, or worse yet, uh, you know, the research stopped in the 80s, and that's where the understanding of Titanic stopped. That's what it's, I meant. Yeah, it's frozen you know, it, in time. It, and I try to tell people this, and but it, it truly is. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, there's also an emotional disconnect that comes uh, with Titanic where people kind of get this idea that they know how it happened. And when you come in and you, you know, show new evidence on something, it's like, whoa, you get some real serious, you know, emotional um, blowback from that. Mm -hmm. A friend of ours out in the UK, his name is Mark Turnside, a number of years ago he turned up uh, information that basically documented the Titanic had a three-bladed center propeller. Mm -hmm. So he was all excited, thought it was going to be this neat new find. Well, to this day, many years later, you would not believe the horrific comments that he gets in online forums, um, basically calling him a conspiracy theorist. I can, unfortunately, <laughs> I can believe it. I've seen some of yeah. these message board interactions. Yeah. Yes. And, and even, um, even for us with Thomas Andrews, I mean, we had this for many years, Bill Tad and I had this emotional, you know, this is what we thought happened. Mm -hmm. You know, he was last seen in the smoking room, like you see in all the movies and in all the documentaries. And it's like, and then one night we're doing the research and it's just like, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up when you finally connect those dots and you're like, wait a minute, that's not, that's not how it happened. But I think if you're, if you're going to study history, it's important to keep moving forward and keep, um, keep doing their research because otherwise it just gets stale, it, it gets dull, it gets dry, and then why would anyone be interested in learning about it, you know, to begin with? Because it's just a static thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think... You know, when I, for, for me at least, when I uncover research or I put some kind of new dots together and I'll, I'll say, well, in my opinion, you know, this is not how it happened, but here's sort of a new interpretation. I feel like there, you know, people, the next question is people ask me, what is the value of that? But it's exactly that. It's because as historians, as writers, as Titanic people, if we're not moving forward, what are we doing? You know, and then you're only satisfying a small group of people that, were sort of stuck in amber with how they viewed it. And those might be powerful people in the community. They may be well-known people. But um, I think a true historian and a true lover of history knows you have to always be moving forward. And and a question I have for you as an author of really the definitive new book for Titanic, and I, I'm sure you think a lot about memorialization just in general of Titanic, what do you think the future of, not just in writing and research, but in the public history realm too, like, do you see any new trends? Do you think there is hope for sort of new developments for a new generation of how we talk about Titanic? Like, just I know that's kind of a vague question, but when you think ahead to how Titanic is remembered in popular culture for historians, what anything new that you hope for it? Yeah, there are some unfortunate trends that I see developing. I see a tendency to make Titanic more a myth than the history. Um, because you get these people that, you know, they've seen all the movies, they think this is the way it went down, you know, and they're just not ready to make that change. And then you have the conspiracy theorists that come in and it blows up all over social media. And you have all of these interesting people that, you know, maybe they just have a passing interest in it. And, you know, they hear the conspiracy theories and it just sounds just good enough so that it's, you know, it believable. kind of believable. Mm -hmm. And so then they start to repeat it. And the next thing you know, everything is just, 
it's basically spin control these days um, because it's very easy to lose that grounding in in the actual historical data and what survivors and eyewitnesses said. But what we try to do is we try to make them come alive, let them tell their stories, memorialize them, mm-hmm. preserve their memory, but also make it interesting and fresh. You know, we don't just write books. We also partner up with people online like uh, Tom Linsky over at HFX. Yeah. And we do animations and documentaries mm-hmm. over there so that, you know, we can appeal not just to readers, but also to a new generation of people. And then, of course, there's places like our wonderful hosts here at Pigeon Forge this weekend that, you know, they preserve it by actually building museums, housing artifacts, and showing these things off in, in a tasteful way, too. And putting the, narr- the, the, the complex, I think, you know, obviously you guys do a wonderful job of putting the complex narrative on display, which is so important because it is... A, I think in in an era of social media, <clears throat> excuse me, especially the 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 clickbait sort of nature of things. Like you said, we spend a lot of energy just working against the conspiracy theories and the popularity of those. Um, I you know I wish we had more time. We'll have to I'll have to get you on the podcast for like a long form interview with the other authors, maybe too at some point. But I really I thought it would be fun to sort of have a you know just a. I don't know if I could use the word fun twice, but a fun question at the end. And so in all of your work, uh, is there been a passenger or a crew member that has really stuck with you? One that, you know, obviously all of your research has been so crucial and important, but just on a personal level, is there a passenger or crew that you connect with and why? And obviously at your core, you're a titaniac, you know, that's why we're all here. So is there someone that sort of sticks with you that you think about a lot? Yeah, for me, it's Thomas Andrews. Okay. Uh, it might be cliche, but uh, wow. Thomas Andrews has always been kind of a personal, you know, I, I connect with him, you know, his knowledge of the ship and the way he stayed behind and, and really helped like a member of the crew throughout the entire disaster. Uh, the heroism that he displayed, um, of course, having Irish roots myself, you know, I, I kind of have a connection there with him and, and that kind of uh, reading about his personality and the way his laugh could fill a room and you know he he would people just were drawn to him i like that figure of you know a nice guy who genuinely cared about the people that worked for him and really cared about the ships he built and who just stayed until the very last minute and and did his best to help everybody so i think if i had to pick one there's any number of ones that i i really you know connect with but definitely andrews is one of them and, and actually, we were talking about Belfast because we've both been to, to Belfast. And I've seen the photo of you at the Nomadic or, or I guess right in front of the, uh, the museum. And I think he has so much to do with the Irish. You know, and it, I mean, if you think about Belfast as a place and the history of Belfast itself, I just did an episode about it. I think Andrews is such a crucial figure to sort of connect the building of it, the construction, the Irish heritage with everything else that we study about Titanic. Um, so what, what is, what are you working on now? Is it, can you talk about, you know, is there anything fun Titanic related or ship or other ship related that you can reveal at all? Anything to look forward to, or are you collaborating with the other authors anymore on anything? There are some other projects that we're working on right now. Um, some we can't talk about yet. Gotcha. (laughs) Um, others, uh, one that we're just wrapping up right now is a two volume, uh, edition of Lusitania, an illustrated biography. Oh yeah. 
And that's the first volume of that's going to be released in June of 24. Okay. And we've partnered up with Tom and his crew over at HFX Studios. We've taken them on as co-authors, and we've used this Lusitania model that we've all built over the last four-odd years, and we're doing a whole color book just like recreating Titanic, same format, full color throughout, and it's just gonna, I think it's gonna really blow people's minds when they see the color artwork that we're putting together for this book. Uh, we also have some Titanic things in the works. Um, we are not talking about that yet. Gotcha. But uh, it should be exciting <laughs> when, uh, when it comes down. Uh, yeah, it's, I, you know, it, I think I have this sneaking suspicion there's a lot of even more Titanic just energy building all over the world with a lot of different people and projects because I myself am actually involved in a couple of things that I can't like talk about yet. And when I, and when I tell people that, there's just this sort of like, oh, dare you keep a secret. But I, you know, I think it's, we've reached, you know, unfortunately, um, with Sub Titan this summer, and and I, I think that again, that in an unfortunate column, but that was evidence of how relevant and important and um, popular Titanic is in culture. And there's a lot of projects spring all over the world, small to very, very big. So I think we're like on the precipice of another huge Titanic uh, moment. Um, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking about everything. And I know that a lot of my listeners have already read your book on a sea of glass, but I recommend if you haven't, um, is there a new, I know it's in the past, it's been hard to get a copy of, but it's newly in print. It's a little easier now or it's been in print since 2012. Yeah, it's know. never yeah. left print. Uh, the current edition that's out is the soft cover. That's the third edition that was okay. printed in 2015. Okay. Sometimes people do have trouble finding copies, whether it's supply levels or whether it's getting it in from the UK where the book is published. Gotcha. I'm not sure. Okay. But usually you can find copies. And if you can't, it's not long before they uh, show up. We'll so. read. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. Well, you have to get to the book signing, but absolutely would love to stay in touch and maybe we can get you guys on for a longer form interview at some point. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Thank you so much. 